0: Great. Good morning, Harvest. I remembered my glasses today. It's always a good thing when you are a middle-aged gentleman. (laughs) Good. I'm really excited about this series. And I'd like to begin by reading to you from an article which I found in Christianity Today. It's entitled, Why for Bible Translators? martyred in the Middle East won't be the last. It's not a very snappy heading, is it? It's by someone called Sarah Zilstra, um, written in March 24, 2016. One month after Wycliffe Associates announced the launch of 10 new Bible translation projects in a region where conversion to Christianity is punishable by death, Four of its Bible translators were martyred when militants raided their Middle Eastern office. They shot and destroyed all the equipment in the office, including the print-on-demand equipment. Wycliffe Associates reported in a prayer letter, the invaders burnt all the books and other translation materials in the office. Two workers died of gunshot wounds, and two other workers laid on top of the lead translator saved his life and died deflecting bludgeoning blows from the radicals' spent weapons. Instead of retreating, the remaining translators have decided to remain in the area and continue the work they were doing to translate the Bible into eight languages. So those four Bible translators, as the title suggests, are not likely to be the last to be martyred for the Bible. Uh, translating the Bible, and they're certainly not the first. Back in the 15th century, actually the 16th century during the Reformation, <coughs> the Catholic Church maintained that only authorized priests pre, uh, priests were eligible to interpret and apply the Bible. But the leaders of the Reformation, people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Xingli, they were very much against this. And, uh, there was a, a, a scholar called John or William Tyndale who famously challenged the Pope. And this is what he cried out. He said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plough to know more of the Scripture than the Pope does. And this was no idle claim because Tyndale started working on the first translation of the Bible into English so that it would be uh, accessible to ordinary people. Up until that point in time, people could only read the Bible in Latin, and it was only scholars who were able to read it. And in fact, about 75% of the King James Version was based on the translation work that William Tyndale did. But he paid the ultimate price for his efforts. He was tied to a pole in a public place, and he was then strangled, and then his body was burned at the stake. And so we ask ourselves this question this morning. Why have so many men and women given their lives for the belief that every human being on earth should have access to the Bible in a language that they understand, preferably their mother tongue? And being English speakers, I don't know if we realize this, but we are hugely privileged to have the Bible in our own language. There was some research done that Catherine Martin reported on, and this is what she says. Of those who attend church, only 45% ever open their Bibles outside of their time in church. Isn't that an amazing contrast? On the one hand, we have people who are prepared to give their lives in order to translate the Bible, and then on the other, other hand, we have entitled indifferent people who are not reading their Bibles. So what was it that these translators, what, what, what was it that drove them to translate the Bible? What was the belief that they had that everybody should be able to read the Bible and indeed should read it? And so what I'd like to do in order to help us form the same convictions today is to answer two questions. First question, why should I read the Bible? And then the second question, if I should, am I qualified to interpret it and apply it to my life? Or did the Catholic Church have something when they said that only certain people are qualified or intelligent or studious enough to read and interpret the Bible? So the first question, why should I read the Bible? When I got back to Zimbabwe after getting my degree, I decided to study to see if I could learn Shana and there was a a lady in my Shana class who lived in Avondale, and one day I decided to drop in for a visit on the pretext that I needed some help with my Shana homework. And uh, when I pitched up there, I met Gail for the first time. And uh, the rest is is history. But I was reflecting back on that time of getting to know Gail, and I did a lot of observation of Gail. A lot of it was covert. It's um, stalking. Yeah, yeah, it's called stalking. <laughs> and uh, in the process, I got to know a lot about this beautiful lady. Um, I chatted to people as well, and I observed her. I observed the way that she reacted to, to people and situations, and I got to know a lot about her. But you know, in order to really get to know Gail, she had to reveal herself to me. She had to disclose herself to me. There are many things, many deep and intimate things going on in her heart, which I wouldn't have known about if she hadn't revealed herself to me. And if that's the case between two human beings, who after all are in the same category, we're both humans, we both speak the same language, we can both see each other, how much more so would we need God to reveal himself to us? Because he's divine. We're bound by space and time, and he isn't. We, we, can't, we are uh, tied to a physical body, but he isn't. He, he's a spirit. We can't even see him. And so how much more so do we need God to reveal himself to us? Unless he does that, folks, we are not going to get to know him. We're going to get to know quite a lot about him. We can observe a lot about him in nature. We can hear the testimony of other people. But to really know God He needs to be telling us, he needs to be confiding in us what is on his heart. And I think that the gap between God and us is perfectly expressed through the prophet Isaiah. Let's just read Isaiah 55 verses 6 to 9. Isaiah 55 verses 6 to 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I'd like to emphasize the next two verses. Why? Why should we seek God? Why should we be looking to him? Why should we abandon our thoughts and seek God's thoughts? Well, he says in verse eight, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, it's absolutely imperative for us to seek God's revelation of himself to us because our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. We can think that our ways are the right kind of ways. There is a way that seems right to a man, it says in Proverbs, but its end is the way to death. Unless we have that revelation from God and look at, the, look at the contrast between God's thoughts and our thoughts. If you can think of this vast gap between ourselves and the distant stars and planet, this is what God is saying. He says that gap is the same as the gap between your thoughts and my thoughts and your actions and your ways. And my ways. And that's why we need God to reveal His thoughts and His ways to us. Now, just take a look at the effect of God's revelation through His words. I love this. One of my favorite sections of Scripture. Carry on reading from verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Can you see the abundance there? Not only is there enough seed for you to eat, but there's enough seed to put aside to plant in the next season. This is the effect that rain has. Abundant harvests. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Can you see what what uh, God is saying to us through the prophet Isaiah. He's saying that just as water brings life, in the same way God's word, his revelation to us brings life as well. And you know we so desperately need it. I've just been thinking about Zimbabwe and how we need the life that rain brings. I was reading an article that says about six million people are in danger of starvation in our country. They desperately need rain this season. I was also thinking of our, our particular garden and it's one of the things I learned about Gail is that she loves gardening, she loves beautiful things. And she, she with the help of Christine Fisher, I don't know if Chris, Christine is here today, they set up this beautiful succulent bed in our garden. But you know, even those cactuses and succulents are dying because it's so dry. There's, <laughs> there's a couple of, of plants there that were thriving when we found them right on, on a, in a fissure on top of a granite rock in the vumba, but now they're dying in our garden. And that's because they need rain. And this is what God is saying to us. He says, you desperately need the revelation of myself to you so that you can experience life, so that you can experience a harvest. But how does God reveal himself to us? And this is where we turn to a scripture in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one. Verse 1. It says there, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. You can see that in verse 1. Then he goes on to say, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, why does the Son qualify to speak for the Father? Let's keep reading there as, as we carry on. It says, that Jesus um, was appointed the heir of all things through whom also God created the world. So just imagine that. If everything that we see is Jesus's inheritance, including you and I, don't you think then he has a right to reveal to us how that we should live? And also if, if he is the one who created us, then surely he also knows what makes us tick. And he knows you intimately as a person. He created you, Tom Henson. He knows Tom Henson intimately. He knows exactly how to motivate Tom. He knows just how to challenge him. He knows how to excite him because he made him. Jesus is the heir and the creator of all things. But there's more. Let's carry on reading. It says there, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So it's not surprising then that Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It comes from John 14, verse 19. It's also not surprising that John, the Apostle John starts his gospel with these words. He says, in the beginning was the word And the word was with God and the word was God. And then later on in verse 14 he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. So now maybe you're asking the question, well what has this got to do with the Bible? Well if God spoke to his people long ago through the prophets. None of us were there to hear that. We didn't hear those words, we didn't see how the prophets lived. But we have a record of what they said in the Bible. And then if you think of Jesus, if Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's word, his self-revelation to us, we weren't around when he was living, we weren't there to hear his words or to see the way he lived, but it's recorded for us in the Bible. So the Bible is a record of God's revelation of himself to mankind. If you want to experience an intimate, personal relationship with God, you must read the Bible so that God can reveal himself to you through it. And this raises a question, and I think it's a valid question. Is the the Bible an accurate record of God's special revelation of himself to us? Now, there's a really long answer to this question. It it would take a sermon series, perhaps. We addressed it, I think we scratched the surface in the tough questions series, Um, when I answered that question, is the Bible dependable? So I'd encourage you to go, and if you didn't hear that sermon or you want to refresh your memory, go back onto the website and, and download the podcast. But the short answer is that the Bible record and writings are reliable, because they were inspired by God. And the Bible itself is replete with evidence, but there's also a lot of other evidence from outside of the Bible that proves it as well. What does inspiration mean? What does it mean that this book is inspired by God? Well, first of all, it means that the original authors of the Bible recorded God's revealed truth in the exact words that he chose. And you'll see this, for example, sometimes when Jesus is arguing with the scribes and the Pharisees, his argument will turn on the exact words that are written in the Old Testament. And so the scholars talk about inspiration being verbal. So that's saying that the the words in the Bible, and that's incidentally not in our translation, but in the original texts, which is why it's so important when we read a translation to make sure that the people who've done it have done a good job of it. Um, And that's why scholars do go back to the original Greek and the Hebrew. So it's verbal. Then secondly, inspiration um, applies in the same degree to the whole Bible. And so what we're saying is that there are not certain parts of the Bible that are more inspired than others, because that would get us into hot water, wouldn't it? Oh, well, this little bit here that talks about X, Y, and Z, that's not, that's not fully inspired by God. And so, and we get this from the Bible itself, uh, it's, Pete, it's Paul who says all scripture is God-breathed, it's breathed by God, his spirit is involved in it, all of it. So the word that the scholars use there is plenary. Just in case anyone mentions these words, you won't get bamboozled. So it's verbal, it's plenary. And then lastly, we believe that the, as the, the, the writers of the Bible were writing, um, we're told by, by, what, in, in, by the Apostle Peter that they were carried along by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that word carried along incidentally, is the same word that was used when Paul was shipwrecked on the Mediterranean Sea. It says that the boat was carried along by the winds. So all of the sailors were involved in keeping the boat afloat, but ultimately the direction of where it went was determined by the winds. And so this is the same idea with uh, the scriptures being written. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that means that they are without error, and that nothing has been missed out. In other words, they are inerrant. So we can depend on the scriptures because verbal, plenary, inerrant. So that's why we read the Bible. You'll only get to know God in a deep and personal way if he reveals himself to you. How does God reveal himself to us? Well, he did it through prophets, and then in the last days he did it through his son, We weren't there to hear, we weren't there to observe, and so we rely on the Bible's record. Is the Bible record reliable? Yes it is, because the authors of the Bible were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's move on to the next question. Am I qualified to read the Bible and to apply it to daily life? And I think this is a very valid question, because after all, if you look at a a case close to home, The architects of apartheid interpreted the Bible in a wrong way, saying that people were different, that white people were different to black people. So maybe there is something in this idea that you need to be a special person in order to interpret the scripture. Maybe you need to be a scholarly person. Maybe you're sort of thinking to yourself, well, I struggle a little bit with reading. Maybe maybe you battle with concentration. Um, Maybe you've got dyslexia. Um, Don't you have to be a Greek and a Hebrew scholar in order to be able to understand and interpret the Bible? Well, let me read to you a direct quote from a book entitled Surprised by the Voice of God by Jack Deere. And here's the quote. Again and again, the words of Jesus to the best biblical scholars of his day keep ringing in my ears. These people studied the Bible, more than 99% of the people in the church will ever study the Bible today. They had more of the Bible memorized than 99% of the people in church today will ever have memorized. And yet this is what Jesus said to them. Let me read it to you. John 5, 37 to 40. Jesus is talking to these amazing Bible scholars of his day. And he says, his voice, in other words, God's voice, his voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Listen to this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You can be the best biblical scholar of your time and still not meet the person who wrote the scriptures. So how does God do it then? How does he reveal himself to us through the Bible. I'd like to, to refer you to a story from Luke's gospel, where Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. He's now walking along the road to Emmaus, and he meets two disciples on the road. He starts having a conversation with them. And it says that their eyes were blinded so that they did not recognize him as Jesus. He asks them, are they doing? And they say, well, you know, we're pretty miserable because we believed that this man, Jesus Christ, was the Messiah, that he was gonna redeem Israel. And then they recounted to Jesus about how he had been crucified on the cross um, and now his body had disappeared. So let's continue. These two men, they, they knew the scriptures because they recognized Jesus as being the Messiah and they'd hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel find that in verse 21. Incidentally, this is uh, Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. And yet their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And they hadn't understood from the scriptures that the Messiah would die and rise again on the third day. They hadn't had that revealed to them. What was their problem? Was it a lack of intelligence? It wasn't a lack of intelligence. It was a heart problem and not a brain problem. Just have a look at verse 25. Let me read it to you. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. There was a a problem with their hearts. Their hearts were slow. Now, what was the solution to that heart problem? Well, just have a look at verse 27. It says there, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is the one who interprets scripture for us. Have a look at verse 32. The disciples said that when Jesus started to interpret the scripture for them, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he opened to us the scriptures? To understand the scriptures, we need Jesus to open the scriptures for us. And when he does, our hearts, which are slow and need revving up a little bit, they begin to burn within us. Just to give you some examples of this, um, Gail was busy counseling somebody who was reading her Bible in the morning, just getting into the scripture, and while she was reading, she felt her heart burning over a particular passage in Proverbs. And she thought, there's something significant about this passage, but I don't understand it. And then later on, as Gail was busy counseling her and helping her to understand something that would be a key to her recovery, suddenly she said, what the verse meant that I read this morning. And so Jesus had first of all, or the Holy Spirit had first of all opened her eyes to that particular scripture, and then as she was working with Gail, it was interpreted for her. Let me give you an, another example of the power of scripture, and this is why we so desperately need to be reading it. Um, Several years ago, I just just was going through a period, some of you may have experienced this, where you just don't really want to get up in the morning. You're feeling depressed, you don't really want to get up. Um, And at the time, I can remember, I was reading a book by Joyce Myers, and uh, in this book, she said, if there's one prayer that you would pray, what would it be? And straight away, I, I just knew my prayer would be, I just want to have joy in my heart. And then I finished reading that. I moved on to my quiet time. What do you think I read in Isaiah 55? It says, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you. Is it a chance? I don't think it's a chance. We open ourselves to God speaking to us if we will be faithful to read the scriptures. The funny thing was that the Sunday after that, um, somebody came up to me after the service, gave me a big hug and said, Ian, I'm just, I, I just see so much joy shining out of you. And you know, if I hadn't read that scripture, if I hadn't been faithful to read the scripture, I probably would have been confused about what we sh- she was saying. But now it was all coming together because God had prompted her to come and do that. I knew that God had promised me that he was gonna lead me into joy and peace. And of course, that's what he's done. I'm not saying that I don't continue to struggle from time to time, but by and large, characterized by joy and peace. Another friend of mine rang me up while I was in a meeting. He said, Ian, I've been accused of murder um, and I'm, gonna be, I'm, I'm being taken in by the, the CID for questioning. And of course, that, that's a horrible, horrible, frightening experience. And as I was praying for him on the phone, I was reminded of Psalm 91, which begins, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I said, you need to, to go down, because God made that alive to me. I said, go, to, go and write that scripture down, go and look it up and, and write it down, stick it in your pocket. Learn it if possible. He was able to learn it, but even if he hadn't, I don't think it would have mattered. And then while they were busy questioning him, in order to intimidate him, this is at Harare Central, in the room next door, the interrogation room next door, they were busy torturing somebody. And so he could hear the screams of this other man while they were questioning him. And he was just like, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God and whom I trust. And his heart was burning inside of him because he knew that God was his refuge and his fortress. So as we read and we reflect on the scriptures, we need Jesus to open and interpret them for us. We don't need to be Greek and Hebrew Hebrew scholars or students of history. We don't need to be high-powered theologians. Someone says, well, Jesus isn't on earth anymore. How on earth will he open my heart up to the scriptures? Just think of this for a moment. Suppose Jesus was alive on earth at the moment. What are the chances that you would have to go and speak to him or for him to interpret scripture for you? pretty small chance I reckon if he was on earth he would be absolutely swamped today and that's why in John 14:25 Jesus said these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you referring to his teachings and which are now recorded in the Bible but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you So we have the Holy Spirit within us to help us to interpret Scripture, to help us to understand it. Now, folks, I'm not saying that there isn't any value in having certain skills of comprehension or understanding the Bible, maybe some grammatical skills. I'm not saying that there isn't any value in bouncing what we think Jesus is saying to us of other people. Of course, that's all part of it. But what I am saying is that the main thing that equips us to read and understand the Bible in such a way that it will be God revealing his heart to us is that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have Jesus who is interpreting the scripture for us as we read it. We have Jesus who is addressing our hearts so that they start to burn within us, so that they start to get revved up for him. And so that's why it's so desperately important for us to be reading the Bible on a daily basis. If you want to get to know God, this is where it starts, folks. It starts in, in the Word. It starts in Scripture. And we are just, we're missing out. We're missing out on so much because we're not getting into the Word. Now, I know that there's, there are people who, as I said earlier with dyslexia, who really battle to, to read um, that's why audio Bibles are available. This is a, this is a set that I was given by Marion Van Gent so that Reg Hobbs could listen to it while he, while he was sick in bed. His eyesight was failing. Um, she's asked for it back, that's why I've got it today so she can pass it on to someone else. There's, Craig is a, a wizard, this sort of thing. He'll be able to tell you where you, can, where you can get online and listen to the Bible, even while you're driving your car. So important. There really is no excuse. And uh, we desperately need to get into the Bible um, so that it can bring us life. Just think of the life that rain brings. That's the life that it's gonna bring to you if you'll get into it. Shall we just pray? Father God, I thank you so much that you have provided a revelation of yourself and that you've gone to such trouble to record it in a reliable way so that we can read it. Father, we don't want to be reading this Bible so that we can tick boxes or follow a Bible reading program. We we don't want to do it so that we can appear more spiritual than someone else. We know that knowledge puffs up. But it's love that we need. But instead we want to come to to read this this revelation of yourself so that we can get to know you better. We want to fall in love with you. We want to encounter the person, the author behind the Bible. The one who wrote it. And I pray for each harvester today that this would be an encouragement and an exhortation to, to read the Bible more faithfully. Lord, I pray that you would also help us in the weeks ahead. I pray that you'd equip Craig as he speaks next week, maybe about some of the more practical steps to how to read the Bible and to, to understand it. But thank you for this foundation. Thank you that it all depends on Jesus interpreting on it for us through the Holy Spirit and making our hearts alive. And Father, just lastly, I I pray that every one of us would come to your word with the right heart attitude. Lord, help us to come to it wanting to know you and wanting to change and for no other reason. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.